Ari, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be at Cloud World again this year. Good to see you again. So it's a busier Cloud World, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it seems super packed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How many? Do you know about how many folks are attending this year? I think not counting the uh, healthcare conference, mm-hmm. it's uh, in the ballpark of twenty k. I think. Oh wow! Eighteen to twenty thousand. Oh my what gosh! I heard, yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. I definitely see the crowds outside in the in the conference area, and I see I feel a lot of buzz. Yeah. It seems like customers are very excited. This seems like the first real year after the pandemic is you know now behind us, and uh, you know people are super excited about new technology and innovation. That's what we're here to talk about today. So great. thanks for coming back. And uh, you know, what are you most excited about at Cloud World today? I think everybody's talking about AI, right? Yeah. So I think um, this whole, uh, you know, AI has been sort of uh, in the mix for a few years now, but I think this whole uh, gen AI has captured people's imagination. It's it's sort of brought AI to a level where people can see the potential, people can see what it can do for them. So I think there's a lot of chatter around AI, uh, you know, especially, you know, what can you do um, uh, that, that looks like what I work with, uh, uh, you know, what I do with ChatGPT. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of questions there. And I think uh, it's not just about as people sort of use chat GPT and gen AI as a way to get into it, they're going to see the potential of, uh, you know, uh, if you look at traditional AI versus gen AI, mm-hmm. you know, traditional AI is harder for people to understand because, but there is a lot, a lot of potential there for things that move the needle. Generative AI is easier to understand. The use cases are simpler. Uh, there is a lot of productivity. So I think those two are going to uh, work together. And I think a lot more customers are going to adopt uh, AI in what they do in finance. I think we're excited about that. I know artificial intelligence has different categories, if you will, right? You mentioned some of the more deterministic type of numeric data. There's text data, there's graphical data. How does EPM view artificial intelligence? How does it incorporate it within their tool sets? I think our view our view is that, you know, both types of AI, the the traditional AI, which is based on, you know, data science and statistical models, right? Um, Techniques such as, you know, regression, classification, correlations, all of that. That definitely has a lot of value in terms of looking at data, finding patterns in data and guiding you towards the right decisions, you know, creating forecasts based on whether it's univariate models or multivariate models, um, giving you a sense of, uh, you know, um, important um, outliers or important events that you should focus on, those kind of things. So uh, that definitely has its place. That definitely has a lot of value in finance. But if you look on the other side, you know, what uh, one of my customers called the other day, the softer side of finance, <laughs> which is, you know, really about, uh, not about numbers, but about uh, the story behind the numbers. I think there's a lot of potential there as well. So, you know, for instance, if you want to author a piece of uh, narrative in a management report, can Gen AI generate a high quality first draft uh, or a high quality draft that you can then refine? Right. Um, absolutely. The answer is absolutely yes. And Gen AI can do that without tapping into, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's not the chat GPT like use case where you're training the language model on uh, all bits of available information in the world. I mean, this is really looking at your company specific data and perhaps selected curated external data um, to provide you the context. I think Gen AI models can absolutely help you with things like, you know, generating narratives as part of management reports or more mundane things like, you know, can I write an explanation for an account reconciliation that I just made or a journal entry that I made so that I sort of reduce the back and forth, whether it's within my uh, teams or whether it's with the auditor's teams. Uh, 
Uh, you know, all of those are, I think, uh, definitely within reach. So we are excited about both sides, you know, the the uh, the qualitative side that Gen AI brings and the quantitative side that traditional AI brings. And the two working in conjunction, I think, uh, over time will uh, uh, will drive a lot of benefits for our customers. We, we, we're certainly excited about it, but it's early, it's early days. We are sort of uh, test driving some ideas in this space. Uh, 20, uh, calendar 24 is when we'll start releasing some of this to the market. And then we'll see what picks up and what doesn't and where the potential is. I think there's a, I, I think it's still early days, but we definitely see a lot of potential, uh, potential there. Is there anything that's come out maybe that's on the roadmap to come out a little bit sooner? Like I know I read something about sales planning and some additional features that have been released with the EPM today. Can you talk about some of those things that customers can start using right away? Any customer that has uh, subscribed to enterprise EPM, uh, we'll get the rights to use, um, you know, sales planning and strategic work for, workforce planning as of September, uh, just like they have the opportunity to use, you know, financial planning or consolidation or a contract conciliation. So it's basically a named user model. As long as you uh, have named users, um, they can use uh, not just the financial planning and consolidation and reconciliation type of modules. They can also use uh, sales planning and strategic workforce planning. Okay, so uh, so that's new. Um, that's very exciting because, you know, these modules, while they are in the sales domain or in the uh, human resources domain, the expertise for, you know, configuring these apps and delivering them both inside of Oracle in our sales and pre-sales organizations and in the uh, uh, implementation community lives on the EPM side, not so much on the uh, CRM side or on the HCM side. Mm -hmm. So including them as part of the EPM suite is going to sort of accelerate adoption, I think. Uh, it's a great opportunity for our um, implementation partners, our sales and pre-sales folks to go in and have conversations in the um, uh, sales operations function or what what is now called the revenue operations function right. or in the human resources function to sort of encourage adoption there. Uh, I think that the, the time for this whole idea of extended planning and analysis or connected planning or whatever you want to call it, I think it's now. Um, a lot of our customers are actively looking at, uh, okay, you know what, if my... If the primary input into my financial forecast is my sales forecast, then I cannot afford to manage my sales forecast using spreadsheets and ad hoc processes. I need to streamline that process. I need to use uh, more rigorous, more formal tools. And that's where the idea of using a sales planning module comes in and uh, using uh, the same vendor for financial planning as well as sales planning gives you the opportunity to sort of connect and align these plans uh, much more easily and much more continuously than you would otherwise be doing. So, so I think a lot of customers are excited about that. Yeah. And looking at these processes, they may need data sources that are not maybe in the Oracle, you know, suite, right? So customers may have an array of different technologies. So can you talk a little bit about how EPM plays well with others, right? So even if the data may reside in another HR system, right, non-Oracle system or sales system, how does that work? I mean... As you know, EPM has always played well with uh, other enterprise systems. Mm -hmm. You know, even ERP, um, a, a large percentage of our uh, customers that have deployed EPM, whether it's on-premises in the, in the past or uh, with the cloud uh, in the last uh, eight, nine years, um, they've, they've not always had uh, just Oracle ERP. They've always had uh, uh, either a mix of Oracle and non-Oracle systems, or in many cases, entirely non-Oracle systems. You know, we have a very strong presence in the SAP ERP install base, as you all know. So that approach, so EPM has always been 
you know, enterprise system agnostic in that sense. That strategy continues as we extend beyond the financial systems into the non-financial systems. So a customer that has deployed uh, Salesforce for uh, their front office is absolutely able to benefit from our sales planning system, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. If you have Oracle CX and Oracle EPM, you know, some of the data integration gets easier, but it's, uh, you know, all of our implementation partners have expertise in reaching into Salesforce and bringing that data in or reaching into Workday and bringing that HCM data into the system. So as long as you can do that, as long as you can do the mapping and the data integration, which is which is not uh, super hard these days, right? So there are tools available and there are methodologies available for doing that. So absolutely. So our sales planning is by no means limited to only Oracle, uh, Oracle CX customers. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's Salesforce, it's Oracle CX, it's... Uh, Source agnostic source yeah. system agnostic and in fact uh, we encourage uh, uh, our partners and our sales and pre-sales folks to go in and have conversations with customers that have non-oracle systems mm-hmm. for sure we have a lot of customers shared customers that use financial planning workforce planning today how does strategic workforce planning differ from workforce planning as it resides today in the EPM platform the simple way to think about this is the the standard workforce planning module uh, which is part of the financial planning set of modules is really about the the uh, uh, dollars and cents of uh, spend related to human resources. So how much, what are you spending on employee salaries, employee benefits, uh, modeling of all of that, calculations of all of those details. The spend on employees is the focus of the traditional workforce planning module. Whereas the strategic workforce planning module takes uh, a non-financial look at uh, the human resources. So it's really a talent-oriented look. Okay. Uh, so you're looking at, okay, what are the pools of talent that we need? And you're taking not just uh, this fiscal year look, uh, not an annual operating plan kind of look. It's a more uh, slightly longer term look. You know, some companies take a three-year horizon. Mm-hmm. Some companies take a five-year horizon. Depends on the kind of industry you're in. Depends on the talent pools you're working with. You know, for tech companies, you know, we look at, you know, hey, web designers, uh, you know, full stack developers, data scientists, implementation consultants technical support people. These are different pools of talents that we need. So we make projections for, you know, three, five years. And these pools are available globally now in right. almost every case, right? Uh, so again, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, I can hire a lot of data scientists, but the retention profile is not very good. They will <laughs> get trained by me and then six months later go to a, you know, a different company for a different or better pay pay package, right? On the other hand, uh, maybe in Bangalore or maybe in Romania, I have uh, the ability to not only attract talent, but retain talent over a longer period of time, right? So that's the kind of analysis that people want to do with the strategic workforce planning, you know, demand and supply of different pools of talent. I'm going to project demand based on my corporate growth plans. And then I'm going to look at where's the talent available, uh, not just availability, but where can I attract that talent? Where can I retain that talent? Uh, so looking at past data on attrition and retention, projecting it forward, uh, doing that sort of analysis. So this is this type of analysis, not just done by HR. It's mm-hmm. done by HR in collaboration with functional managers, right? And those are the guys who know what kind of talent they want. And uh, oftentimes they know better than HR managers on the retention and attrition profiles and trends and things like that. So it's it's an application that lives on the boundaries of human resources and functional um, lines of business. 
Uh, and finance obviously gets engaged in it because uh, you know this sort of translates into spend. Right. Um, so it's it's a it's a very collaborative, connected type of application. What would you say to customers or users that challenge um, doing this kind of analysis as an, uh, in an application on top of, let's say, their HCM transactional application, right? Or on top of wherever their oper- operational data resides, you know, another app that they're using to collaborate. Is it because it is easier to collaborate in EPM versus in transactional systems and they're more nimble? What is the reasoning behind that from a product standpoint? I think, you know, the data, a lot of the data may live in the transactional system, mm-hmm. but the uh, the application models are not suited for the kind of analytical processes that you want to engage in, right? So if you want to do scenario analysis, if you want to do nimble what-if analysis in terms of what if the, uh, um, what if the going uh, wage rates in a certain uh, geography go up by 20% or 30%? Mm -hmm. What if the attrition rate changes by 10 or 20% over the next two, three years? Those kind of, you know, rapid assumption changes and scenario modeling and analysis, transactional systems are not designed for doing that sort of thing. You know, you can do, you know, everybody will think that, okay, I can do this using BI. No, you can do the analysis using BI, but the underlying model needs to be able to support this kind of, you know, driver-based analysis or rapid scenario analysis or the ability to change assumptions and compare multiple scenarios and all of that, which is at the heart of, uh, you know, the kind of um, uh, EPM applications, the planning applications that we deliver, right? And that's good for finance. It's also good for, you know, functions like sales and human resources, for sure. Absolutely. It's hard to fix the car while it's still in drive, right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, between, you know, artificial intelligence, sales planning, workforce planning, um, you know, how are, how are customers adopting these technologies? Um, you know, is there a, a roadmap or, um, a, a, a leading practice on what to do first, second, third, um, or can we start anywhere? For the most part, you can start anywhere. I mean, um, in terms of artificial intelligence, what we see a lot of customers doing is that, you know, we've been talking about intelligent performance management or IPM for some time now. IPM has different elements, as you know. I mean, and we've got the predictive planning capability. We've got, uh, you know, um, other kinds of time series analysis capabilities and so on. But lately, we see a lot of customers start with IPM insights. The ability to sort of, uh, hey, provide insights based on data. Uh, the models are not super sophisticated, but they're very useful. It's a great first way to get, first step to get started with mm-hmm. uh, this, uh, how do I make use of data-driven intelligence in my analysis, in my uh, decision-making process? So, you know, um, variance insights or bias insights or, you know, other types of anomaly-driven uh, insights. Those give a nice on-ramp for a lot of organizations to get started. And once they see the value, they are ready to take the next step in terms of uh, doing, you know, predictive forecasting, for example. Yeah. Um, the other thing we are doing, you know, we've been talking about the cash, predictive cash forecasting application. You know, I think we are um, not too far away from uh, availability of that right? Um, early in the calendar year, we're going to sort of start making that available initially on a limited basis and then on a more broader basis. Uh, that's a, you know, a built out uh, solution that addresses a very important um, um, uh, sort of planning process, right? Uh, cash forecasting and cash planning is very important to almost uh, every business, <laughs> right? And especially dr- now, especially mm-hmm. now yep. and uh, driving database intelligence 
as a fundamental construct into that uh, into that uh, uh, planning process uh, is going to open people's eyes to the potential for these things. Uh, so, you know, building a custom uh, uh, app using these technologies is still hard. It's uh, still hard for implementers. It's even much harder for uh, customers. So using these, uh, you know, what we call recipe-based applications that go after a horizontal problem that's applicable to a lot of customers is a is an easier way for many customers to sort of experience the benefits of these technologies. Uh, so those are some ways to get started. And on the um, on the connected planning side, where do people start? Really depends on the kind of company, uh, the kind of business uh, that you have. You know, if you are a manufacturing centric company, all of the action is in the balancing of supply and demand. So maybe that's where you start. You start with, you know, what people call as integrated business planning. Uh, if you are a professional services organization where it's all about the talent, maybe you start with, uh, you know, strategic workforce planning. Uh, if you are a direct sales organization, a B2B type of organization, maybe your sales forecast is where your, you know, center of gravity for planning lives. So that's where you get started. So really, you know, I think customers know this. Customers know where the highest value is. And if you talk to them, they'll tell you, yeah, this is where, you know, a, yeah, human resource planning is important for me, but not yet. But I want to get started here. But there's no technological limitation or um, necessity to have a prerequisite in any one tool. You can really pick wherever you want. I think so. I yeah. think so. I think it's important to have a good, solid foundation in the financial planning area first. So once you have established a foundational uh, set of best practices in financial planning, then you can add, uh, then you can expand from there into, you know, into the sales function, into the human resources function, into the supply chain function and so on. Uh, that ordering is less, uh, 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 less, um, you know, prescriptive. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the ESG analytics and some of the new innovation coming there? ESG has become a very important topic for every company these days, right? Um, <laughs> you know, if you if you went back um, uh, two or three years, um, a lot of European uh, companies were talking about it. Uh, a lot of European manufacturing or energy companies were specifically talking about it. Uh, so from a topic that was interesting to certain regions of the world uh, or certain um, industry segments, now it's got broad-based appeal because everybody's uh, concerned about their carbon footprint. Everybody's concerned about, uh, you know, ESG metrics, ESG-oriented analytics and reporting because there are requirements that are either already there or are imminent, right, mm -hmm. for many organizations to disclose um, data related to this. So ESG is coming up more and more in our mm -hmm. conversations. Uh, interestingly, it's coming up more and more in our conversations with the Office of Finance. Mm -hmm. Uh, not just with the supply chain function, not just with the sustainability officers, but it's coming up more and more in the finance function. And uh, one of the questions we get is, okay, ESG, the data comes from everywhere. It comes from supply chain systems. It comes from inside the company, outside the company. Why is EPM the natural place for doing ESG-oriented mm -hmm. ana uh, analysis and reporting, right? Um, because, you know, ESG-oriented analysis and reporting is important, but why is EPM the right place to do it is a question that we sometimes get. The answer is, if you look at financial analytics and reporting, um, EPM has developed over the years a set of robust methodologies, a discipline in curating the data, certifying the data, creating the data of record to report on. Mm -hmm. both internally for management reporting purposes and externally for statutory reporting purposes. 
The same argument applies in the case of ESG metrics as well, to the extent that you have to report clean, curated, certified data and reports and analytics to your internal stakeholders as well as to, you know, external regulatory agencies. EPM has got this concept figured out (laughs) and why not use the same approach and the same set of tools for uh, ESG oriented metrics? I mean, granted, they're not all financial metrics. Uh, There's a combination of financial and non-financial metrics, but the discipline and the process and the tool set already exists. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of, uh, um, a lot of organizations that are entrusting the finance function with ESG oriented uh, disclosures and reporting, um, working actively in collaboration with other functions inside the company, whether it's supply chain or manufacturing or uh, uh, procurement, mm-hmm. uh, all of those have a have a role in it. But I think the ultimate re- responsibility for reporting and analytics, it makes funds for, sense for it to be with finance using the EPM tool set. Yeah. And to your point, even though it's not financial data, it's still numeric. Right. Yeah. And so uh, yeah. you can still use a database to capture it. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the same set of ideas in terms of, okay, what is the definition of this metric? We don't want to be arguing over the definition of the metric. Finance has got the approach figured out in terms of, hey, okay, this is the definition of the metric. This is the definition of record. This is the data of record. This is how we've done it. And yeah. if you take a report, you may be disclosing a consolidated number. Uh, for a metric, but the ability to drill down into the details and to sort of track the lineage of that data, that kind of discipline exists in finance. We've been doing it for ages and the same kind of approaches are valid for uh, ESG-oriented reports and metrics. The other side of this is um, a a growing subset of our customers are starting to see ESG as not just a reporting and analytics uh, problem, there is a reporting and analytics component to it. But there is also a forward-looking planning element to it. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, you know what, if I'm going to be setting up a factory or building a new facility, I want to get ESG-oriented thinking on the front end of this in terms of, okay, how am I constructing this? How am I uh, sort of powering this facility? Is it uh, 80% uh, renewables and 20% fossil fuel, or mm-hmm. is it 60-40? If it's 60-40, can I buy some carbon credits in the open market to offset right. the f- higher levels of fossil fuel usage? Those kinds of analysis need to be factored in on the front end of your capital investment projects. If you do that, you're not just measuring in a backward-looking way and reporting on misses against your targets, you're actively managing mm-hmm. how you're achieving to those targets or how you're managing to those targets. So a lot of companies are waking up to that and saying, hey, this is not just a reporting problem. It's also a planning problem. Then it makes EPM even more natural, a place for doing ESG-oriented work. With all these new innovations and, you know, of course, customers have folks like EPMI to help out with the implementations. But is there anything that Oracle offers in terms of customer success to be able to, you know, make sure that we're not, you know, we're, that we're prioritizing correctly and also implementing correctly because the technology is so new, it's changing all the time. Is there anything that Oracle can offer to help with that process? We have a number of programs, you know, as you probably know. Um, let's start with, uh, you know, um, um, implementation success program. I mean, this is a program that's been around for a few years. A number of partners and customers have taken advantage of it. The idea is simple. Um, you know, implementation partners are very skilled. They're getting more skilled every day. They're getting more experienced every day. But uh, Oracle has the ability to look across lots of different implementations and pick up best practices, uh, pick up issues, 
So what we do is, you know, in the implementation success program, we invite uh, customers and partners to sort of work with us on specific implementation projects, and we provide proactive guidance and advice. This is not about second guessing a partner in what they're doing. We know what they know what they're doing, but this is really giving them another point of view mm-hmm. that may be coming from looking at other projects uh, saying, hey, do you want to think about this as an alternative approach or maybe have engage in a discussion with a partner on um, proactive design uh, ideas, right? Uh, obviously, you know, as part of the implementation success program, we also help customers and partners with when they run into issues. But the proactive component is much more interesting because this is where, you know, before you commit yourself to a certain approach, uh, whether it's related to application design or whether it's about ensuring performance at a certain level or scale at a certain level, we have the ability to sort of sit down with you and engage with you in a conversation to ensure that you're thinking about all of these things uh, the right way and giving you the benefit of our experience uh, just, to, just to de-risk the implementation work um, to another sure. level. Right. right. That that's kind of the idea. And again, this is a this is a program that doesn't cost the customer anything. It doesn't mm-hmm. cost the implementation partner anything. Uh, you're free to nominate through our working with our sales teams. You're free to nominate your customer projects for this program. And this is something that uh, is available across the portfolio. You can uh, nominate planning projects for this, consolidation projects for this, account reconciliation projects for this. Uh, We're happy to work with you on. Um, any and all of these projects. And this is something that uh, more and more partners and customers are taking advantage of. That's number one. The second one along similar lines is, you know, I think uh, there's certainly been an inflection point in terms of customers moving off of, you know, Hyperion on-premises deployments to the cloud. Uh, Growing interest, as as I'm sure you've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the programs we offer is what, what we call as Hyperion application analysis programs. Uh, there is a HFM piece to it. There is a Hyperion planning piece to it. There is an S-based piece to it. So the idea here is we can take, we have a team of people that can take uh, a customer's on-premises application, uh, not the data, but the application artifacts, take a look at the application and then come back and provide input on, hey, these uh, these pieces of what you've done uh, on-premises will move nice and easy into the cloud you may want to rethink this piece because it works differently in the cloud. For instance, in consolidation, some of the work that was done using custom coding in the HFM world is now part of the uh, standard application on the financial uh, close and consolidation right. cloud, right? So uh, providing input on rationalizing um, applications or uh, providing guidance on custom coding and how that sort of transfers over to the cloud or how the cloud or how that needs to change as you move this to the cloud is something that we provide as a free service. And this is available for HFM. This is available for planning. This is also available when customers want to move custom airspace cubes to the cloud using, you know, uh, freeform applications, for instance. So that is another offering that we have uh, that uh, we encourage all customers and partners to take advantage of because this is, again, a free program, development investment. The goal is ensure customer success as they move from on-premises deployment to the mm-hmm. cloud, right? Uh, and the third one that I want to touch on is, you know, is a, is a newer concept. You know, a lot of our customers are starting to set up, uh, you know, centers of excellence inside their organizations, right? You know, this is not a new idea. This is, this was done in the on-premises world in the past, but I think now as the as more and more customers are deploying broader cloud footprint, uh, 
uh, for EPM. Uh, and also as more and more customers are starting to kick the tires on newer technologies, like whether it's connected planning or uh, AI and machine learning, they're saying, you know what, there is a need for uh, for me to bring together stakeholders inside my organization have them engage in conversations around, uh, you know, their ideas, what they're doing, best practices, technology trends, adoption priorities, things like that. And what Oracle is doing is we are playing the role of a facilitator, sort of uh, giving you guidance, giving you documentation um, on how to set up a center of excellence, where to get started, and what are some different approaches. And also, as more and more customers set these up, we want to be the facilitator that sort of uh, enables cross-pollination of ideas, you know, uh, encourage customers to come and present uh, ideas through Cloud Customer Connect and other forums in terms of what are they doing with uh, centers of excellence. Um, so those are some of the programs that we are investing in. I just mentioned Cloud Customer Connect, but we'll talk more about this <laughs> in a second. That's a that's a whole topic by itself. Sure. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's really exciting because you know in the on-premise days, sometimes you can be very siloed in a, a certain way of thinking of the way we do business, not thinking about the broader spectrum, which we have that capability now with the cloud and you know everybody being on the same platform. Yeah. Yeah. And Cloud Customer Connect not only brings you know you guys and the product team to the customer, but it also allows customers to engage and learn from each other. So that's a great platform for that. It's a great platform. And I think we encourage every customer to um, sign up all of their users, all of their stakeholders um, uh, to Cloud Customer Connect because the Cloud Customer Connect has uh, really grown over the past uh, several mm -hmm. years, right? Uh, today, the EPM portion of the Cloud Customer Connect, of course, is across all areas uh, uh, inside of Oracle, but the EPM portion of it has seen tremendous growth, right? We have over, I'm sure these numbers are outdated already, but uh, uh, we have over 70,000 participants wow. in the uh, EPM area. And we have nine forums dedicated to EPM that are really, really active. And on average, we deliver at least one EPM related event, uh, which is a, you know, a customer presenting or a partner presenting or somebody from Oracle presenting. And there's so much activity here, right? I mean, especially one of the things that uh, Cloud Customer Connect really is uh, useful for is, you know, we deliver monthly updates monthly updates, quarterly updates to the software. This pace of update is, you know, significantly different from what customers are used to <laughs> in the on-premises world. So one of the, and again, you know, many customers have got uh, reasonable ways of testing the software before deploying it in production and so on, but it's hard for everybody to test everything. Uh, one of the nice things they can do is they can tap into the work that others are doing through Cloud Customer Connect. I mean, there's always, you know, in any area, if you take uh, planning, uh, there's probably, you know, 25, 30 customers and partners that are always jumping on the new update that, as soon as it comes out. And some partners even have access to it even before it comes out, right? And they are writing about, hey, this update has got these cool things related to planning or this one thing, you know, be careful because it can change application behavior here. Right. So you don't have to test everything. You don't have to experience your thing, everything firsthand yourself. Mm -hmm. There is a there is a set of crowd wisdom that's already available from Customer Connect. You can tap into it. And then if you see something that is interesting to you, you can go target your testing, your test driving on, on those subsets of areas that are specifically interesting to you. Um, so, and, you know, Idea Labs is another area within Cloud Customer Connect where, you know, we're increasingly getting enhancement ideas, product uh, feature ideas from customers through Customer Connect. And other customers have the ability to sort of weigh in and say, this is important to me also. And anything that has the support of lots of customers, obviously we know uh, it's an important enhancement. So we take it, uh, you know, with a higher priority. 
Crowdsourcing feedback. Yeah. Crowdsourcing feedback. Yeah. <laughs> so before we let you go, um, you know, we always like to ask you what there's a lot of excitement going on, a lot of innovation going on. What is your favorite part to get involved in? Is it, you know, the product innovation? Is it, you know, the, the customer success aspect of it? What is your favorite aspect of your job here? The favorite aspect of my job is really when we introduce new capabilities, whether it's AI or whether it's connected planning, it's always fun to see the early adoption phase of it. Mm-hmm. You know, who are the customers that jump onto it? What do they do with it? What what feedback do they give? Because it's not that, you know, we we don't have everything figured out. It's the early customers and the early partners that tell us a lot about, you know, where the sweet spot of something is or what the right priority order is for rolling out this technology. Because, you know, the technology is useless unless it gets a lot of adoption. And the early phase um, sort of drives a lot of thinking and a lot of feedback that shapes the adoption and takes it to the right place. So to me, you know, all of these things are important to you, uh, to, to me, you know, building out new capabilities, is important customer success, of course, is very mm-hmm. important, but the early adoption curve for some of these new ideas, I find that uh, especially energizing because, you know, that's where there's a lot of action. There is a lot of rapid feedback from the early guys because the people, whether it's customers or partners who make the initial investment to uh, sort of get engaged in these preview programs or mm-hmm. early adoption programs that we have, they're spending a lot of time and energy in this. So they take it seriously. So we mm-hmm. take process seriously as well. So um, that, that that part is very exciting to me. Well, definitely seems like a great inflection point right now to be able to capitalize on some of that. So, you know, we're super excited and thank you so much again for joining us. Um, hope to see you around Cloud World here and uh, again next year. Thank you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah.